you know, they don't teach you this stuff in seminary. You're going, I know, they don't. Um, sorry, to, sorry to follow that worship with this in a way, but... You know, what they teach you in seminary is you need to, in the first three minutes, you need to give people a reason to listen to the next 30, which I've probably just deflated that completely. <laughs> Some of you want to leave. Um, uh, why would I walk out? Guess what the message is about today? Yeah, and, and uh, I, I, I mean this when I say it. it. There's a bit of levity, you know, a bit. You can put the phones down too, by the way. You don't need to take pictures. Those of you. It's online, it'll be, you know, you can watch the video. But uh, the, the levity, um, I'm doing this because it's gonna get replaced by the gravity of James's words in a moment. And I wanna offer to you, I'm not the only one that looks like this. I think everyone in the room looks like this in reality. What James is going to say today, you all, is he's given us a sharp uh, rebuke, if you will, and challenge. And what he's going to say is, every one of us walk around life like this. What do you mean? We're one giant tongue? Well, here's what I mean. Your tongue is the truest reflection of your life. So in one sense... Uh, yeah, yeah, um, we all walk around like this. And I wouldn't do this to, uh, you know, just to get a laugh out of you. I, I truly wouldn't, but I, I'm willing to do this if in fact it helps us take what James says and move it beyond. Okay, I got that. And it sticks just in our mind but it doesn't engage the whole heart. I'll say it again, James is gonna tell us as I remove this, that the most true way we evidence who we really are is what we say. Um, just a qualification because I know that was a bit of a sharp right turn. Maybe that was a 360 when I walked out from where we'd been. Um, I understand there are, some, of, there are some, in the, some that would feel like, boy, that was irreverent for church and what we're doing. And, and I do, I can see that. And to, to you, I want to say I'm sorry if I overstepped those bounds with that. But uh, I, I mean this, and Rob would, would, would agree with me. I'm willing to make myself a fool. If indeed it helps us engage the word. To the degree that that distracted you, again, I apologize. But I'm hoping you won't forget it in this way, even if it's kind of bugged you that I did it, that throughout the week when it comes to mind, you're not thinking of Lloyd walking out as a giant tongue. But instead you're thinking about what James says about your tongue and mine. I actually don't want to start in James. I want you to look up at the screens with me. I'm actually going to start us out in Proverbs. Proverbs 18.21. This is probably the definitive statement on the tongue. James, no doubt, you'll hear me say this, probably had this in mind. Certainly he was aware 
of uh, the Proverbs. His book sounds like a proverb. Proverbs 18.21. I've got two versions up here on the side screen. Uh, one is the New American Standard, and then one is going to be the message. So look at the New American Standard. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Here's the message. Paraphrase, okay? Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Now, do you feel the weight of that? I mean, I, you know, if, those, if you read a proverb a day, you probably read that a hundred times, but let's stop and go. When you and I open our mouth, there are two options, only two. We're either giving life or we're giving death. There's, there's no in-between. Such is the power of the tongue. Now, with that, let's go to James 3. We're in verses 1 through 12. It's no accident by way of context that James launches into what the Bible is in the Bible, the longest treatise on the tongue. Lots of verses about the tongue, but this is the one continuous treatise upon it that, that is the longest in the Bible, and it's no accident um, you know, he's gone from faith without works is dead. And he built his theological argument. And we've been carrying this dollar coin in our pockets for weeks now. I just always touch mine going, you know, faith, one side of this coin without an expression of works is no faith at all. You just, you can't remove one side of the coin and still have a dollar. And so now he goes from that to the tongue. Like, What? I mean, he could, it seems he could have gone somewhere else, but no, under the inspiration of the Spirit, God has him go here, and we're going to see why. If you, I'm going to say a few things this morning that I hope you grab. Some, you're not going to get it all, but this would be one I hope you take hold of. Your words are a work. We don't often think of that. You know, we think of our works, expression of our faith, as what we do. Well, you don't... There's probably nothing you do that doesn't begin with your tongue. And in that regard, I'm actually going to argue, I mean, it's arguable, but I'm going to argue that James is telling us that our words are the most important work that we do. And, you know, we often will go, well, no, I, I helped start a ministry, or I, I, I'm, I've, you know, worked at orphanages, or I've served the poor. I've, that's my greatest work. No. No, your, 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 your greatest work will be the words you say. The things, that, the things that pass out of your mouth. He begins with a dire warning. And then he's going to give us three reasons for the warning. I'm going to start with a dire warning. I'm going to move through the passage as we do, section by section, verses 1 and 2. It's the dire warning. Then I'll give you the three things as we hit the next part. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. 
Uh, in some sense, let's, let, let's think about this. No one talks more than the teacher. You know, so those who teach are gonna say a lot of words. Now, let's keep it in its context. He's speaking here, not, he's speaking here of the church. So in these small gatherings, churches, if you will, that have been scattered, they modeled themselves after the synagogue. And so, you know, a synagogue would have a rabbi who would teach, but in the synagogue, there would also be others who would speak, guest speakers, or even members of the synagogue could speak men in this context. And think about Paul, he did that. Think about Jesus, he did that. Um, we know this, that teachers are, a, are one of the, pastor teachers are one of the gifts to the church. So we know that James is not saying, you know, we don't need any more teachers. He's not saying that at all. It seems that there were within these small churches several, if not too many people wanting to make their opinion known. In other words, wanting to take the mantle of teacher and stand up and say, well, this is what, the, this is what Jesus said by this. This is, you know, they, they, they were standing up and it was inappropriate. They weren't, I don't know, qualified. They... And so he, 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 he doesn't say, you know, no more teachers, but he, he, he says, you under, do you understand that the teacher is going to have a stricter judgment? And I don't think this is that difficult to grasp, you know. Um, there are at least two principles at work here verified by, by Jesus himself. The first would be with greater responsibility becomes greater accountability. We, we understand that as a principle in life. So the teacher who's gonna say, this is what I believe the, Jesus meant when he said this, is what, um, he's, that's a huge responsibility and therefore a huge accountability to give an account for all that the teacher would say. The second principle here is we're responsible for the truth we're given. So, so when the teacher spends that much time studying the Bible, think of all the light the teacher gets. Well, the teacher's responsible for, in their own life, I am, for all that I study or rob, or any of you who teach the Bible. You're accountable for that. I mean, do you just, you know, take a little bit of it or no as a teacher it's all you've seen it it's why I've often said to you that sitting in church is one of the most dangerous places you could ever be if you're going to sit and listen to what God says and not live it not have true faith does that make sense so no wonder he's, he's going you need to be aware there's a stricter judgment for those who teach and ever the realist, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Thank you, James, because the we includes him. And he recognizes, you know, it's not perfection. It's what he says next, though, that should leave us, if I can say this, speechless. He says, if a person controls their tongue, they control everything else in their life. It's like, if you get this one thing right, everything else is, is right. When he says perfect, you go, it's just like uh, verse one, chapter one, verse four. <clears throat> it's speaking of maturity, wholeness, completeness, not moral perfection. You all, this side of heaven, we will, never, we will never live morally perfect. He's not talking about that. He's saying it, it, it's maturity. You've progressed in faith. You're becoming whole in Christ if you control what you say. 
your words. How can he put so much weight on that? How, how, can, how is it that he can pick the one? He, he, picks, he picks this. Our words. That's the one. Take care of that and everything else and you're, you'll, you'll have maturity in your life. Well, he's going to tell us why. This is the three things he says about the tongue. I'll repeat them as I teach through it. But three things. He says, first, the tongue is small in size, yet great in impact. He says, the tongue cannot be tamed. And he ends by saying, the tongue is connected to the heart. So, let's start here. The tongue is small in size, yet great in impact. Look at verses 3 through 6. It says, Now if we put bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships of the sea. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small. You see the great, small, great, small, very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Small, great, small, great, small, great. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set amongst our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Small, great, the bit in a horse's mouth. Isn't it amazing to watch an eight-year-old kid jump on a giant horse and steer it around? Because of the bit in the mouth. Small, great, impact. Small, great. I mean, there's a tiny rudder by comparison to the giant boat. It's that little rudder that turns the whole thing. Small, great. Isn't it amazing that every fire, think about this, starts with a spark. If there were a spark here, I could put it out with my, t I could just go, it's gone. But there was a spark somewhere, several places out in California last spring, weren't there? And it produced the greatest wildfires that state and the, the West has ever experienced. But it, it began, y'all, there was somewhere that sparked and it could have been stopped just like that. So little, inconsequential, but left uncontrollable, devastating, devastating. And by the way, you know, the tongue can give Life or death, I'm telling you, he's focusing here on the death side of the tongue. It's devastating what it can do. Contrary to what people, some people say, because I've heard it said, the tongue's the strongest muscle in the body. And that's, a myth, that's been myth busted, by the way. It's not the strongest muscle in the body. Um, I may say it this way. It's the most potent muscle in the body. And by that I mean, uh, you know, your leg muscles, they're stronger than the eight muscles that make up your tongue, you know, you know lifts or whatever. You know, you, you can lift, move stuff with your legs way more weight than you can with your tongue, okay? But that tongue can do more damage than a thousand leg muscles combined, one tongue. I was probably in the fourth grade. 
I tried to get the, nail this down in my head, and I'm just going, I'm somewhere third, fourth, somewhere in there, eight or nine years old. Um, and our class had this thing that was, uh, I guess it was drama week or theater week. And so the teacher had us act out something. And so, you know, everybody gets a little prompt, you know, and, and you, you get your prompt and then, and then you, you do what the prompt says. And so my prompt said, you're walking through the woods and you see a skunk. I'm eight or nine and, you know, I'm wired in such a way. I'm, I am an introvert. I don't like being in front of people. I, it's not my thing. Um, and so, you know, it came my turn. And so I get up in front of my class and I did something like this. Okay, that's my acting debut, you know, in fourth grade. And what I, you know, I, I will never, I have not ever, and I won't ever forget the first words out of the teacher's mouth. And she said, no one whistles when they're walking through the woods. She didn't mean anything mean. I'm eight or nine years old. And I'm telling you, that did something in me that all through my life, up to today, do not ask me to be in a drama or a sketch or anything. I hate, I feel like I'm naked with a hat on if I ask me to act out something. I hate charades, you know, uh, anything like that. I, I don't like being in front of people that, as much as you might go, well, you, 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 you do that a lot. I, I don't like it, you know. And um, that whole thing probably took eight seconds. And she said no more than a dozen words. And I've never forgotten those words. Y'all, I forget everything about my youth. But you know, there's certain things you just can't shake. And it's usually those words, isn't it? Now, some of you are thinking, and appropriately so, you're probably going, geez. If, if, if the words that harmed me growing up basically just made me not like charades, I'd, I'd, I'd count that as a blessed life. <laughs> You know, and I think I agree with you, and there's others I could say that I'm just not saying. What is it about words, y'all, that are so powerful that way? Um, there's no one sitting in this room who, who you know, I, I'm, I'm 58 years old. That was, 50, that was 51 years ago. And I know what happened, and I feel it. There's no one in this room right now that's not carrying something from childhood, adolescence, who knows when, where, where there were some words said. And the thing about words, you know, when they go, they, when they go in, they've got a barb. You know what a barb is on a hook? It's the little thing that keeps the hook from coming out. And they go in, they got a barb. So they go in and you can't pull them out. And so you spend your whole life with these little barbs in there. And you know what happens? They wiggle around. They get aggravated. They get infected. And what's so strange in a way is that the words spoken to me 51 years ago have the same, if not a greater impact in my life today, especially if not dealt with those things. You think about words. You, you know, see, with words, you can't block them. 
You know, you could deflect a stick here. A stone might fly by you and not hit you, but I'm telling you what, the words, I am not diminishing in any way uh, the, the, the physical abuse and harm that many of us have experienced in the room when I say this, but I do believe most of us would choose the sticks and stones over the words. I've absorbed them and I've given them. I've given them. Ultimately says the tongue is so destructive because it's uncontrolled and it is fueled by hell itself. Isn't that something? What? James? I mean, he could have said something. He goes, it's fueled by hell? This word hell is the word uh, Gehenna. It's literally the Valley of Hinnom. And so it's a literal place. It's, it's, uh, many of you have been to Israel, you've seen this. It's, it, think of a ravine. I think that's a better way to think of it, quite frankly. This deep ravine. And it's on the southwestern side of Jerusalem, right by the city. And it is the place of some of, some of Israel's most heinous offenses to God. This is the place of child sacrifice. This is, it's like, this is what they did there. They would put bodies there. They'd throw the dead there. In Jesus' day, it was a burning trash pit even in, in, in that day. So you know what happens when you burn trash in these giant pits? The fire never goes out. Y'all with me? There's worms and junk in there. So, so Jesus, by the way, the word hell is used 12 times in the Bible. 12 times. Once in James, and then the other 11, guess who says it? Jesus does. And so he chooses this place as an apt description of a literal, we believe, literal place where you spend an eternity apart from God. And Jesus saw that, I mean, what to call it, you know, and said, that's, that's what's fueling your tongue when it's harming people. And we know that this is the home and ultimately be the eternal destiny of the devil. And so really like we could say that, you know, this is when, this is when the, you know, ultimately when your tongue's giving death, it's fueled by the devil. Ouch. So the tongue is not only disproportionate. See, like that's way out of proportion, isn't it? And the point is, it's tiny, but it has this massive influence. It's also when used harmful source by the devil himself. Ouch. Well, secondly, the tongue cannot be tamed. It's not only small in size, great in impact, it can't be tamed. Look at 7 through 10. He continues for every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. And we kind of want to go, I know. It shouldn't be this way. In that day, just as in ours, you know, they didn't have the Shriner Circus come to town, but they had animals that were tamed. 
And so he could say, you think of elephants, they're giant. He can't tame an elephant, and yet, you know, someone tames an elephant, so it kneels down when he taps it with a stick. Or a lion or a tiger, a beast that was devastating, you know, apex predator. And in that day, even, they had tamed them. And so he's, basically, he's saying, you can tame all these animals, but no, this is key, no human can tame the tongue. Says it's a restless evil. I'm going to put a few verses up here. Look at them with me as I read them. Probably think Peter would articulate it this way: First Peter five eight. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. A restless evil. You know, you ever watch the Discovery Channel? I watch a lot of that. You know, and and there's the pride and those lions. Their shoulders they go like <laughs> they're like this, and they're just swaying, and they're waiting because they're waiting to just break out, right, on the, on the prey. That's the picture of, it's a picture of your tongue. It's, it's just waiting to burst out. The psalmist was being harassed and harmed by evil people. And he said in Psalm 140, verse 3, they sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. This is an apt picture, isn't it? For our, t- our, our words can be like viper poison. It's deadly and it kills and it harms. Unless we, unless we forget, the psalmist was talking about, you know, maybe the Gentiles or enemies that were doing this to him. James is talking about Christians that do it to each other. <laughs> He's talking about the church. We do this to each other. And we do it to those outside. It ought not be this way. We bless God. Can you believe that? We just blessed God with these songs. That was awesome. None of us is probably going to go through the week without saying something totally contrary to what we just sang. We all stumble in many ways, y'all. It's interesting that James is basically saying when he says people who are made in the image of God, this is sobering. To speak ill of any human being is to speak ill of God. Yeah, but this guy's a total... You know, it's just... But to speak ill of any human being is to speak ill of God. This is what he equates. You know, at this point, I want to shut my Bible... I want to stop talking and I want to take a 30-day word fast. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like I'd be better off shutting up. Now, there's something to that, but that's not the solution. So that's not the solution James is going to give us at all because the tongue, yes, it can give death, but what else does the tongue give? See, you don't shut up because we've got life to give with our tongues. And, you know, my hope, and I hope... I hope this strikes you in some way that the humor of me in the giant tongue has faded into the background and we sit sobered understanding when we open our mouths to speak we are either launching life or we're launching nuclear warheads truly. Tongue is small in size, yet great in impact. The tongue cannot be tamed by man. And then third, the tongue is controlled by the heart. Notice how he ends. Does a fountain send out 
from the same opening. So there's one opening. So does that one opening send out both fresh and bitter water? What's the answer? What's the answer? No. See, it's rhetorical. And he says, can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? What's the answer? No. And he says, or a vine produce figs? What's the answer? No. See, he's giving you a no, no, no. Nor can salt water produce fresh. I'm flustered. When I read this and I started studying and preparing to teach, I was going, golly, James. I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm totally convicted. But you, de- you need to tell me what to do. And you notice he doesn't? It's just like he just pounds another nail in it. Albert Einstein is quoted as having once said this, and if you go look it up, just know there's different ways it's quoted, but you'll get the gist of it. If I were given one hour to save the planet, I would spend 59 minutes defining the problem and one minute resolving it. There's a lot of wisdom in that. I want to suggest James is not done defining the problem. And that's why he ends the way he does. And I want to suggest that as he finishes defining the problem, the solution, it just rises to the surface. You've got to pay attention, but it's just right there. The problem is not the tongue. problem is what the tongue is connected to. Now, you go, Lord, where do you get that? Well, look at what he's saying. Um, He's talking about source. He's talking about the nature of something. If the source is fresh, then what's going to come out is fresh, sweet water. If the root is a fig tree, then what's going to come out are figs. If the root is a grapevine, then the fruit will be grapes. It's what's the source of this thing? And the source of the tongue is the heart. Surely James is carrying the words of his half-brother as he says this got some verses on the screens once again. Think about Jesus as he spoke to the Pharisees. Matthew 12, 34, he said, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? How? What's the answer? You can't. And he says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. I know your tongues, you got some bad stuff coming out of your tongue, but the problem is your heart. Later in Matthew 15, the disciples are getting lambasted because they ate some stuff and didn't ceremonially wash their hands. And so the Pharisees are saying, they're dirty, they're unclean. And you remember what Jesus says? Look again at the screen. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth, out of the mouth, come from the heart And those defile the man, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, slanders. It's not an exhaustive list. The words I say that harm others, when I'm defensive and I crush someone because it made me mad and I want to be right. It's not even, my tongue's delivering it, you see. 
but it's connected to my heart. I was talking, I was brainstorming the passage with my fellowship group last week, you know, getting ready to teach it, and we, we kind of go through it, and I'm asking their thoughts and observations, interpretation, application, and one of the things that struck me is I was thinking through that, and, and I said this to them, and I say to you, you know, that when you think about that, you go, you know, the tongue says it, but the problem's the heart. It made me think about the times that I have hurt my wife, and you, by the way, isn't it interesting that we hurt those we love the most the deepest? Darn it, we do. And so I'm thinking about the times I've hurt Lisa. I've said something, you know, it's harmful, hurtful. And, and I've apologized, you know. Honey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And I know that hurt you. Will you forgive me? And, and, and there are times that's true, but I'll tell you, there are other times when I haven't gone far enough. When I haven't had the courage to say, I'm sorry I said that. I know that it hurt you because I wanted to hurt you. But I'm going to tell you, in Christ, you see, it's the truth that sets us free. And I'm not saying that's true every time I hurt Lisa, but I'm just telling you there are times I don't have the courage to say it. But the truth is, there are times I wanted to hurt her. I wanted to, I wanted to shame her. I mean, I just, I've done that to my kids, you see, because it's in my heart. It's not, just, it's not just the words coming out, it's in my heart. Because when I can confess that, you see, I can be forgiven. Hmm. James is showing us that the solution is not taming the tongue, for no human can tame it. The solution is a new heart and a changed heart because it's out of the heart that the tongue speaks. That's a sobering passage, isn't it? Oh, but it's not without hope. And let's start there. Let's start where it all begins. You know where this whole application begins? It begins with salvation. You see, if you don't know Christ, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, if you've not trusted that what he did on the cross he did for you was buried and rose again and he did it for you, then, then you have a stone heart, the Bible says. You have a calloused heart. Your, your heart, I mean, and I'm not saying you can't say good things and, and you'll say bad things. You will, but I'm telling you, you have no power. You have no, because you, the source is fallen and you have no you have no hope to speak well and speak true life. It's, you've got to have faith in Christ and have come to faith in Christ. And so this begins here. If you've not placed your faith in Christ, then, then uh, you're, you don't have the power to control your tongue. That's what James is saying. It starts with salvation. Now, those of us who've put our faith in Christ, we've, we've got our own issues, don't we? We say, well, I have put my faith in Christ. I've trusted Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again. I'm born again. I have a, I have a new heart. See, that's what happens when you trust Christ. I'm, but why am I still spewing poison? Well, I want to talk about that for a moment. I want to do it in a way that gets at our mission statement as a church. I want to remind us that, you know, we have... Our, this church, if you're a part of this church, our mission is to glorify God and make disciples by helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. And you're going to hear us defining, defining, and defining this over and over for the next 20 years. 
What do we mean by that? What we mean by that is the Bible says that all of us are born brokenhearted. We're all born from the womb, fallen in our flesh because we're descendants of Adam and Eve. We noted months ago, I was describing this to you, that in the garden, when they sinned, their hearts blew apart. What do you mean their hearts blew apart? The heart in the Bible is the control center of life. The heart in the Bible is who you are, and it's out of your heart that you live. It's not just this organ. And the heart in the Bible, it's replete from Genesis to Revelation, is that part of us with which we think, we feel, we desire, and we choose. That's all the heart. So the Bible, you know, the Bible, it's not saying that, you know, we know the brain, we understand that is here, and we think with our brain, but you see, the Bible takes our thinking and puts it and connects it to the heart. The heart is inseparable in God, but we're born with thoughts and emotions and desires and choices just blown apart so that we live life whacked out and we have emotions and we act on them. You know, you have emotions and you just do it out of these emotions, or we have desires and we just choose them but it's unconnected to our thoughts. It's unconnected to the truth. Is this making sense? You gotta be connected to the truth and only when you've put your faith in Christ, when, you've, when you say you believe. Now listen to what I, think about what I just said. I said your words earlier are the most important work you'll ever do. You know why I said that in part? How does one come to faith in Christ? You say with your mouth, confess with your mouth. Do you see that? Is there anything more important than that? No. It's with our words we confess Jesus as Savior. And when we do, the Bible says, we are given you all, we're given, God gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh. And I always draw it this way because I want you to understand it's all because of the cross of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Our heart is reconnected. And therefore, when you believe in Christ and the Spirit lives in you, it's within the heart that the Spirit does His work. And I'll try and put it on the, the, the cookies on the lowest shelf I can think of. If I say, if someone, I read an email earlier that just made me so mad that I just was getting ready to write this email and just knock this person off. I saw, I saw a little clips of John Wick last night and I shouldn't have watched that, if you know that movie, because he's deadly. And so I'm thinking, I'm gonna take some people out you know, with this, what they said. And what was it? That was, if I didn't know Christ and even knowing Christ, I struggle with this, Why? Because we're in our flesh, we have, a, we have an enemy called the devil, and we have this world system, and we'll always struggle with the flesh that bent in us towards sin. So I'm bent that way, even though in Christ. But I gotta stop, and I gotta say, okay, Holy Spirit, I, that makes me so mad, I wanna take them down. And what I'm doing is I'm going, let me, let me stop here. What they say, is it true? Well, there may be some truth in that. What do I need to learn from that, Lord? And there's other parts of it, they may not be true, but is what they say, does that define me? No, it doesn't define me. Lord, why do, you don't need to go so defensive. Well, that makes me really angry, and so I'm just aware of my anger. I'm just mad. And you know, sometimes 
we're afraid of anger, but boy, when something's wrong and you don't feel anger, that's a problem. When something's wrong and you feel anger, that's called health. And so I feel that anger. I'm not going to go strike them out with that anger. Why? Because I've got a united heart in Christ, and I'm not just going to act on my emotions. I'm going to take my emotions and bring them to Jesus. I'm going to bring it to the cross. And I'm going to ask the question, what's my deepest desire here? Well, I just want to be vindicated. Okay, go a little deeper. Uh, I, I want to honor Christ. I want to live for him. I, but I can't do it. I know, you, you know, I'm just talking a conversation with God now, you know. God says, I know you can't, but you know, the Holy Spirit can. That's why he lives in you. Okay, God, change my desire. As God shapes my desire, I can then make a choice that when I open my mouth, I'm not destroying people, but I'm speaking life. Y'all, what I've just described is the Christian life. It, it's what we would, you know, I, we, we would call the transformational process. How does God change your heart? Well, it starts at salvation. But I'm telling you, over a lifetime, our hearts are changed. Think of, think of, this, think of this thing right here as a needle and that I've got a thread on it. And I always take life. I, don't, I never disconnect these. I go, what's the truth? What am I thinking? Oh, what am I feeling? You know, because God gave us emotions. You can't bury them. Okay, don't stop there. What, what are my deepest desires? Because God has given me those. Let me, God shaped my desires. And now that I've done this, you know what? Okay, now I'm going to choose to act. I'm going to choose to speak. Think of this. If this needle and thread, if I'm doing this over a lifetime. Do you see that? Over a lifetime. Over a lifetime. I'm sowing, this is silly maybe, but I'm sowing my heart to the cross. That's wholehearted life in Jesus. You go, well, wait, if you're sowing it to the cross, that's death. Yes. Yes, because Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat dies, it's nothing, but if it dies, it lives. I'm telling you, the cross is life is life for you and for me. We've been ending our times praying about our application. We're going to do that right now. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. We've got a couple people who are going to be up here to pray. Y'all come on up here if you're going to be one of those who people can pray with. And I'm going to invite you in these moments to pray. What have you heard? And if you've heard it, Oh my goodness, I would, I don't know about you, but for me it's like, oh God, help me with my tongue. And he does and he will. Now, here's what I want you to say. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, today, believe today and, and, and come down, you know, and talk to one of us and just, I want to put my faith in Christ because that's where it all begins. Nothing, there's no, you know, there's nothing... You can't go anywhere without starting there. And if the Spirit has so led you, come up and let us talk to you about putting your faith in Christ. If you just want to pray, you can kneel up here. And if you just want to pray with someone, that's why we're here in these moments. And I know some of you are going, well, then if I walk up, people will think I'm not a Christian or haven't been. You know, I don't know. 
So what? You, you, you want to pray, you know what I'm saying? Just come and pray. And those of you, pray where you are, sit, stand, whatever you like, and ask God. Just ask the Spirit to change your heart such that when your mouth opens, mm, there's life, not death. Would you ponder that for a moment, please? rise to you and you hear every prayer in the room you know every heart our prayers that you would have your way oh God we might trust you more truly we ask this in Christ's name amen amen let's repeat the verse that Lindsay had us read from Psalm 19 as our benediction. It'll be up on the screen. Now we're saying it post-message and the weight of these words. Say them out loud with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I have a feeling as you leave, everyone's going to be very quiet. <laughs> Don't talk to anybody. Who knows what's going to come out? No. Please speak and speak life. You're dismissed. God bless.